please make sure that your seatbelt securely fastened. At this time, I ask that all portable electronic devices be turned off. Thank you. Hello. Welcome to this week's uh, podcast of the Vagabond Exchange. This is our seventh? Yep. Seventh. Wow. Episode number seven. Episode number... Lucky num- number seven. <laughs> Numero seven. Here in a dining room somewhere in Nashville. I'm Emily, sitting across from the illustrious William. Yep. On a warm August afternoon. That's right. It's probably 94, 95 degrees today. But it's not atrocious. I don't feel oppressed as soon as I go outside, like I normally would in August in Nashville. Yeah. What about you? Maybe it's not that humid. It's a a dry heat. (laughs) I've been in most of the day, so... Yeah, that's true. I probably don't have much... I was out earlier in the morning, and it was cooler, but yeah. Anyway. um, Hello. I hope you've... We missed last week, so we're off a week, but uh, we've been doing pretty well mm-hmm. lately, and uh, a lot has happened in the last two weeks. It seems a lot always. Ha- it seems like every time we do a podcast, in between, somebody ends up passing away. <laughs> That's true, and it really seemed to start around the time that we started doing our exactly, podcast. which makes me think that maybe we should hmm. stop. It could be, or maybe we should try to figure out people that we want to die. <laughs> And just meditate on that. Oh, that's a good idea. (laughs) Let me think about that. If you'd like to write to us and tell us about someone we should meditate on dying, you could email us. Yes. Right? But as long as you're not psychotic. If if it's just like a funny thing. Don't don't get crazy with it. Right. But our email is... uh, No presidents. Oh, yeah, no presidents. No Barack Obama. Otherwise, we're sending that shit to... Department of Homeland Security. Right. No okay. George Bush. Uh, Dick Cheney. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, all right. Well, speaking of that, this week uh, John Hughes passed away. Yes. John Hughes, 80s cinematic icon, great writer, a lot of comedies, great director. We could go down the list of his. He did Pretty in Pink, mm-hmm. Sixteen Candles, Breakfast Club, uh, Weird Science, Uncle Buck, Vacation, and there were some that he wrote that he didn't direct, but like Home Alone, Christmas Vacation. He made an immense amount of money in like 15 years. Uh, he's from Illinois, Chicago, I believe, or a suburb, suburb of Chicago. Yeah. So most of his films were based or located around that area of town mm-hmm. and um he invented the brat pack i guess what i read was that in order to save money he kind of brought in these younger people that were not really popular at the time so like anthony michael hall molly ringwald emilio estevez um who's the other one judd judd nelson judd nelson ali sheedy mm-hmm um, but I know Anthony Michael Hall was like in Weird Science Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles. So he was kind of a 
Regular. Yeah. Molly Ringwald Rat Pack too. Yeah. So, um, now you and I are about nine years apart. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm be just looking at you blankly right now. Well, it'll be interesting. To, interesting to hear your take on John because for me, he had a, a a huge influence on me. And like I was telling you a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. uh, probably a bigger influence on me over a longer period of time than Michael Jackson. Michael right. Jackson kind of had a small window of time, and then uh, when he started to kind of get weird, then that's he kind of drifted off the radar for me. But I first saw a John Hughes movie probably when I was 10 or 11 years old. Mm -hmm. And his movies were a big part of my life probably until I went off to college. So, I mean, I have a lot of good memories of going to the movies with certain individuals like my parents or my friends and seeing these films and watching them over and over again. So, but... You know, I was a teenager during this time, so I could kind of relate to what these... Right. Yeah. Right. Whereas you were... I was pretty little when that stuff came out. Right. So when you see these movies, when I guess you saw them later. Yeah, yeah. But it it wasn't really relevant later, because a lot of the... Well, first of all, my generation, I don't think we really have a set of movies that sort of captures... Our teenage life. I mean, mentality of the youth. Exactly. Of, yeah. I, we have a, the American Pie series, so that that should kind of tell you something. What about Reality Bites? Is that that was that was a little more twenty something though. Okay. And I was still that came out when I was in like junior high or late elementary school, so it really wasn't relevant then either. But I, I mean, I appreciate Sixteen Candles and The Breakfast Club, etc. But. It, ne- it didn't really impact me in the way it sounds like it impacted you. Yeah, does this seem kind of corny to you? Yeah, does yeah. It? yeah. Yeah. When I, I remember watching Breakfast Club, especially, like, uh, just the thought of, like, whatever, six teenagers being locked in a library all day on a Saturday. It's yeah. kind of like, yeah, right, you know? <laughs> but that, you know, that's... And I can relate to that because our schools had that kind of stuff. Really? Yeah. Had I Saturday mean, detention? Yeah. Huh. So, yeah, and then also the music. I mean, there's a lot of mm-hmm. music in those movies uh, that you still hear to this day, kind of classic. Yep, 80s ballads. Yeah. And the clothes and the hair. Right. All very, very 80s. Yeah, those movies kind of defined uh, an era. Right, and I don't think we had that in the, in 90s. the 90s. I'm trying to think, because you know also, like, during the 80s, there were a lot of spring break movies. That's true. And then... And I always wondered during the 90s, until the American Pie series, I was like, where are these kind of movies these days? Right. And then it, there didn't, there wasn't, there weren't that many. Um, I don't then, think there's that many now. It's not, well, the, that's 2000 the thing. Really like, the been. people from the 80s are now making movies like I Love You, Man. That's And true. old school. They kind of harken back to that kind of feel. Yeah. But there's no one, like, around... Well, I don't know. There's because you have super bad, which is high school. I don't think there's anything. I think my generation got skipped. Quite frankly, you think so? Yeah, because there was really never anything. Like I remember, even when I was a kid, like Goonies was really, you know right. what I mean? Like there wasn't anything like that for like girls my age or 
like once we got into high school there weren't really any like coming of age films that really drove home anything you know yeah so i don't and even now like in my 20s there's not many so you can't think of like an equivalent to like molly ringwald from i know you had well you had tv shows like uh freaks and geeks yeah which was very short-lived right I'm, I'm thinking like Jennifer Love Hewitt, like Party of Five. Oh. Like those, there were dramas then. There right. weren't really any. Kind of comedic, like almost slapsticky. Right, right. Seems yeah, I'm thinking about it. There, there must have been. Maybe they just didn't take off the way. That's, I don't think there Maybe was anything Maybe you guys were like just that. very mature for your age and so you didn't go for that kind of stuff. It could uh, be. I'm sure. I'm sure that's what it is. We were very mature. Still are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when, when I think of freaks and geeks, I think those guys are now making, and we, we'll probably get into. It, but they're they're making forty year old virgin mm-hmm. and super bad. I mean, Seth Rogen and uh, uh, who's the, the the guy in Super Bad? I can't think of his name. Not he's Jason funny, Siegel. No, he's in Funny People now. Wasn't he in Freaks? Maybe he wasn't in Freaks and Geeks. He's in Funny... Not Jason Schwartzman. No, he was the... He was with, in Superbad with Michael Sarah. McLovin? No, the other guy. Oh, Jonah Hill. Yeah, was he in Freaks and Geeks? I don't remember him in Freaks and okay. Geeks. Well, anyway, these guys are now making... Like Jason Siegel are now making the comedies yeah. that we see today. But I think about like... Felicity that that was like a show about college girls and what that was Gilmore that, Girls was it yeah I like Gilmore Girls but that was about and I guess I related to that in some effect just the mother daughter relationship there right but there wasn't really any like huge show or huge movie where people were like that's you know that's spot on what things are like that that's hmm. not in the way John Hughes captured it for the 80s I mean, I can think of little, well, like, one-off party movies that were, like, fun to go see, that everybody kind of saw, right. but it wasn't, like, anything big. Oh, well, now Home Alone, I think, came out in 1990. Yeah, I was a kid when that came out. Did you out. go see that? Oh, yeah, my, and my brothers loved that. Really? I was, it was a little, I was a little old for that. I was, like, just past the age where I was, like, really, really into it. Yeah, yeah. So when you saw it, were you just, like, I mean, I thought it was funny, but it wasn't like, oh my gosh, that was such a good movie. Yeah, because I was probably, what, 90? I was 17 when that came out, mm-hmm. and that really cracked me up when I saw it. Yeah, it was funny, but it but wasn't like, I didn't, I couldn't relate to, like, a seven-year-old kid at home that booby-trapped burglars, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, I understand. I mean, I'm sure, like, probably my little brother, my youngest brother, was like, that's awesome, and, like, he's probably, exactly, about, yeah. like, putting his matchbox cars out for my mom to trip and slip on. I mean, that that I can Hitting see. Hitting your dad in the face with a can of paint. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So. All right. Well. But that's okay. Yeah. I'm okay with it. Well, well John Hughes will be missed, and uh, I guess he wasn't around that much lately. In the last couple of years, he kind of re- was in retirement. And right. I'm sure he made, and some kind of wonderful. I left that out, but I wanted to mention that because yeah, that's a really like good that movie. movie don't you? Yeah, and that's the one one I've never seen. Really? Really? Oh, we'll have to. I think you would like that one. 
Okay. Yeah. Eric Stoltz and um, oh, other people. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I was going to say, though? Adam Sandler. He was a big... Yeah. People loved Adam Sandler movies when I was a teenager. Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore. Yeah. and they I were loved, all over that stuff. I was in my early 20s when he first came around. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it didn't really capture, like, that kind of high school or even right. early adult experience. He's kind of the Jerry Lewis of... Because you can't really relate to... Billy Madison. To like nonsense characters. Right, yeah. water boy. But but that was what people were watching. I mean, that that's what that, kids that talked about in school. And that's, you know, that was like part of our vernacular. What about Jim Carrey? Uh, Jim Carrey, yeah, a little bit. Especially like uh, Baze Ventura and Liar Liar, his kind okay. of earlier stuff. Right. People were really into that. But that, I mean, those were the kind of movies that were cool. Like really slapstick, stupid, over-the-top comedies. Not, there was never any, I don't remember any coming-of-age tales. Right. You know? I'm sure once we finish this show, we'll be inundated with memories of coming of age. Exactly. Or we'll probably be inundated with emails of people that want to tell us about movies right. that they saw. They could email us at vagabondexchange at gmail.com. Yep. Probably we'll have so many we won't have time to read them before You're next You're probably week. right. Yeah. Just a deluge of <laughs> emails. Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. Well, since we talked about John Hughes, I guess we can go ahead and talk about um, the last few movies movies that we've seen since the last show. We Mm -hmm. saw three movies over the last couple of weeks. Yes, indeed. We saw Funny People Mm -hmm. with Adam Sandler, Seth Rogen, and uh, we saw 500 Days of Summer. Mm Mm-hmm. Joseph Gordon-Levitt and, and Zoe Deschanel. Yep. And then yesterday we saw... Julie and Julia. We yes. actually saw four movies. What else did we see? The Hurt Locker. The Hurt Locker. Yeah. That's true. See? Yep. We've... Wow. <laughs> We've been on a little bit of a movie frenzy the last couple of weeks. I could probably have a new car if I just stopped going to the movies. Yeah. But then but. I wouldn't enjoy life as much. Right. So... Uh, what did we see first, The Hurt Locker or Funny People? The Hurt Locker. Hurt Locker. Yeah. Okay. You're better I'll at I'll give this synopsis. Okay. Um, basically, The Hurt Locker follows uh, like three or four um, soldiers that are part of the war on terrorism. And basically, this special group goes around um, not detonating. What's like the opposite of detonating? Diffusing. Diffusing bombs that are placed typically by... Uh, it looked like Iraqi civilians. And so it's just like a really interesting story. It follows particularly this one soldier who um, seems to really get off on the adrenaline rush of finding drama in war, and and he's a big risk taker, and it's about his interactions with his team and sort of going through that. Right. I think, so, go I'm ahead. Sorry. No, 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 I think one standout about this uh, picture um, it being a war picture is that it was, and I can't remember her name, but it was directed by um, a female director. Right. Which is, at least for me, unique. I've never seen that before, especially with something that not, not only dealt with emotion, and but th- there's so much violence and action and, in this and picture. captures really virtually no women in the movie. I mean, there were some kind of extras, I guess you could say, in the background. Right. There were no... 
There, I don't even think any women had speaking parts in that movie. Um, I think the main characters, what you would assume is the main characters, uh, girlfriend other. or wife, yeah, yeah, had a brief kind of. That's true. She yeah. had a very small. I forgot about her. Um, and before I even saw this movie, I'd read a lot about it that it was the closest that it had gotten closest to capturing what war was really like. And um, I have a friend who actually served in the Iraq War, and afterwards I was telling him about it, and he actually went and saw it Mm -hmm. because I told him about it. And um, as we were talking later, he confirmed that that was pretty much what it was like. Um, And it shows a lot of, like, downtime and sort of what happens between the action, and I thought that was really interesting, and the interactions between the, the little company that's going around and taking care of these bombs. Right. It was very intense. It was. And I always have a hard time when there's a war movie that I see that I... I have a hard time saying I enjoyed that movie. Right. Because especially when it seems to be as accurate as, like, your friend claims it is and Mm -hmm. it it appeared to be. um, What do you do? It's a... I I wouldn't even say that I enjoyed it. It makes you... I think the fact that I felt so uncomfortable right. watching it, the whole thing meant that it was good, but it was I didn't walk away thinking like, "Gosh, that was a great movie," you know? It make, it just makes you think. It's it's kind of jarring and right. And a little um sort of takes you out of your comfort zone, especially when you consider when I consider the fact that these guys are like younger than me, like they're my age and younger. Right. That are doing all these like pretty Yeah, they're they're asked to do things that most people would be completely unable or unwilling to do exactly i mean to uh, to ask me to go and defuse a car full or bombs a carload of bombs and mm-hmm. when at any minute they could explode and when you also have civilians right you know over your shoulder and right. you don't know what they're up to right that's a tremendous amount of pressure and uh I think one of the things that we talked about is the interaction between the main characters and how when you're in such a situation, you really, your life is in the hands of the people that you're, with whom you're working. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be a tremendous amount of trust. And um, so when you have someone that kind of goes their own way, like the main character tends to do from time to time, I can see how that could uh, create a environment of stress and you have certain reactions during the movie that kind of display that um i like i I like the movie i was i like the characters and i guess i was supposed to be frustrated with the main character like i was right um and even we should mention at the beginning of the movie there's a cameo by a certain actor yes that um and I wished he would have been in there longer. I was right. really disappointed that his stay was short-lived. Right. But he did a very good job. He did. And um, it really pulls you in right within the first 10 minutes of the film. So right. a lot of, lot of tension. There are a lot of moments of tension yeah. within the film. Um, and I can't say that there are enemies in this film, but I can't say that I always saw them as enemies uh, I can kind of understand their reaction to having people enter their land 
as kind of intruders. You see them as intruders and you want them out. Right. What is your reaction? They're destroying your, your home. Um, what is your reaction going to be to that? Um, I would I would feel very nervous being in a place like that. I would too. Very distrustful of everyone, even merchants, little exactly. kids. And the, and you see some of that sort of play out of like who can you trust? Um, a lot of moral dilemmas. Right. And I felt very torn too on how I would have reacted to some of the situations that they encountered. Right. I mean, you drop somewhere. If I were dropped somewhere, the main thing in my mind is, what do I have to do to get out of here mm-hmm. with, alive? Exactly. I don't want to create friendships. I just want to do my job and get out of here, but it's not that simple. Right. And as part of you jo- your job, you have to gain some trust from the locals. Right. You know? How do you, how do, you do that? Yeah. And how do you deal with someone who doesn't seem to be on the same page as you? Right. So, but yes, I think we both agree that it was a very well-made film, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess we could do our thing. Oh now. yes, and that brings us to this week's installment of how close can Emily and William get to the rating provided by IMDb.com, wherein members on IMDb come and rank movies and we have a little contest that we have with ourselves to determine how close we can get to that rating. Right. So whoever wins gets a fern. <laughs> so right. I give uh, the Hurt Locker an 8.5. I'll give it the same. Alright. And 7.9. Okay. Catherine Bigelow. That was the director. Right. And the main character, his name was... Uh, Jeremy Renner. Yeah. What else has he been in? Can we look really quickly? And Ray Fiennes is in it as well. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, I had nothing the assassination of Jesse James. 28 Weeks Later, he was in that? Do you remember him? 28 Weeks Later. Didn't you watch that? I did. He must have been one of the soldiers when they finally reached like that mansion or whatever. Where they have all those army guys. I think he was one of the, the army guys. Was he? Yeah. Huh. Well, it doesn't look like he's been anything too noteworthy. No, North Country. Lords Is that with... Uh, that was uh, the one with Charlize Theron yeah. where she plays the woman who's assaulted. So Dahmer. I saw Dahmer. He played Jeffrey Dahmer. He had that. I remember that. Really? Yeah. Now I want to see that. That was good. Um, yeah, he's been around a while. A while. But Looks like he's been in... On TV a lot, too. Mostly. But he uh, was great. He was very believable. Yeah, he was. And uh, who's the other guy? The guy that they... they oh, were the kind guy of from 8 Mile. Anthony Mackie. Is that it? Yeah. That's the only other... And he usually plays a jerk in movies. I don't, you know? Yeah. Kind he, of the antagonist, but he wasn't... His character was the opposite. Right. He was kind of the peacekeeper. Yeah. Yeah, but that was that was good. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't go see it, like, if you have a weak stomach. Because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of viol- uh, graphic blood and guts. And, yeah. yeah. A lot of turning my head and closing my eyes happening. Yeah. Okay. So on a lighter note, after that we saw... Uh, funny people. Funny people, yes. Well, on a kind of lighter note. Right. With uh, Adam Sandler, Seth Rogen. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Jason, Jason Swart- Schwartzman. Leslie Mann. Eric Banya. Um, right. Directed by Judd. Apatow. 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 And it basically 
Adam Sandler is a comedian, mm-hmm. and he's basically playing himself. So starts out as a stand-up comedian, enters the world of blockbuster movies. He's a huge, famous um, actor. Yep. And he finds out that he is um, dying mm-hmm. from a rare. I don't even remember what they like right. a blood disease or something. Some kind of blood they didn't disease. put a name on it. Like they didn't say cancer. Or did they? Ca- did he have a name? It did have a name, but it was some acronym. It was pretty uh, obscure, whatever it was. Right. And so uh, at this point, he kind of there's a reevaluation period, I guess, where he's kind of reevaluating his life. <laughs> um, yes. And he takes on uh, a new assistant in Seth Rogen, mm-hmm. and they kind of. Well, he goes back to like the stand-up comedy circle, right? And, and that's where he meets Seth Rogen, who's right. a struggling stand-up com- exactly. comedian. Comedian, and he asks Seth Rogen and uh, to write jokes for the, for him, right? And through that, Seth Rogen also becomes his assistant and his friend, and, and his friend, kind of his whipping boy, all kinds of different things. Yeah, and kind of the angel on his shoulder as well, right? And um, also. Uh, because of what Adam Sandler is going through, he kind of revisits the love of his life and um, almost, I guess you would say, attempts to, things kind of lead to maybe them rekindling right. their relationship. Right. Um, but she's married to Eric Banya, right. which is kind of an important note. She's, right. she's married. They were engaged, Adam Sandler, and it, the love of his life is played by Leslie Mann. They were engaged at one one point. And their relationship fell apart. And so as he grew as a comedian and actor, and she was an actress as well, I guess, during that time. But mm-hmm. then she meets Eric Banya. They get married. They have two kids. Moved to Marin County, Northern California. Right. So this, uh, I, th- I believe this was also written by Judd Apatow. Yeah. And it's a... It's kind of a dark comedy. Dark comedy. I mean, it's a little more than a dark comedy. It's it's pretty funny, but yeah. it gets dark in some places. Right. It starts out out of the gate very funny. Yes. I mean, there are clips of old clips of Adam Sandler, and um, there's a lot of stand up with within the movie. Mm-hmm. It's very funny. Very funny stand up. Yeah. And kind of like the old school Adam Sandler too. Right. Yeah. So, um, I I really enjoyed the film. I laughed a lot. I thought it was. And Roger Ebert, the uh, movie critic, said it was Adam Sandler's best performance. I thought so, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think if you take it, even if you combine it with every other movie he's done, Mm -hmm. it's his best performance. But let's say we separate this from the the comedies like Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison. Right. I still think it's it's his best. His best comedy, too. Yeah. Best comedy, but also kind of dramatic. His best dramatic. Right. There was certain vulnerability there that usually he masks it. To me, with anger, right, right, and so you, you don't kind of see him kind of shed the skin there because when I see him, like when he's interacting with fans in mm-hmm. the movie, I imagine this is what he really has to go through every day, exactly, with people stopping him and wanting, wanting even when you're at your lowest, you know, how do you uh, react to people coming up to you and saying, "Hey, can I take a picture with you?" You're great. I love you. Right. How do you and they're, they're not reciprocate a, that, right? And the fact that they're they're not even involved in your life, they have no idea what's going on with you, but they expect you to kind of stop, put yourself on hold. Mm-hmm. Be approachable. Right. 
So you have to admire that, especially if you handle it right with decorum and. And I got the impression that he he did like he that's how he was in real life. Right. Yep. Um, so along with Punch Drunk Love, which I really is a movie I also love, mm-hmm. I think this is his best performance and uh, probably a little bit better just because of what I said earlier. Because there's no, it seems like he could get it all in every movie. He can get all of his emotions out with mm-hmm. some degree of anger or of violence, right. maybe not towards another person, but just destruction. And in this movie, there's, it's almost a self-destruction. He's seems to be imploding, mm-hmm. but he doesn't take it out, really doesn't take it out on anyone but himself. Right. And so I admire the fact that he took this role. I'm, I'm not sure. I, the one thing I admire about Adam Sandler is that he's not stuck in those other roles. Exactly. Like he's been able playing to break silly, out of that yeah. mold. Because that gets old after a while, uh-huh. just like Jim Carrey. Well, he's getting older. You can't do that forever, I don't think. Right. Well, your audience changes. Right. And, you know, I was, what, twenty twenty one when Ace Ventura came out, and or like when Billy Madison and that stuff came out. I was mm-hmm. in my 20s. But I don't want to see that guy doing the same thing. Exactly. And people that are now in that their 20s now don't want to see Adam Sandler and Jim Carrey doing what they did right. 10 years ago. right. So the fact that he's able to step out and do other things like Rain Over Me and uh, Funny People about Rain Over Me. and even movies that don't really work like Spanglish, the fact that yeah. he would kind of step out on a limb and do stuff like that, I, I admire. And, and I, I don't think Spanglish didn't work because of him. Mm, no, no, I don't think it, it was his fault. Mm-mm. No. Um, but... The only complaint I would have about this movie is that it probably could have been trimmed. Yeah, it dropped. There were some places where I was I was done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there was one character, and I can't remember her name, but she plays um, kind of the the interest, love interest of Seth Rogen, Mm -hmm. and um, she's new on the scene. And I don't want to look up her name now because we want to do our rating, but we should mention her. Yeah, she was good. Yeah, she's funny and droll and the kind of woman I'm attracted to that just it's completely done with me before I even say one word to her. Right. Yeah. Um so funny people, what would you I would give it a seven point eight. I would give it a seven. A little lower just because of the, the time. Could have been trimmed a little bit. By the way, G.I. Joe was number one this week, which surprises Ooh. me. Yes. 7.6. There we go. Very good. There we go. Yep. So we were going to look up the... Oh. Um, Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza. Plaza. She played Daisy, mm-hmm. which is my mom's name, so you can never go wrong with <laughs> But That's true. Yeah. And there were also a number of uh, cameo appearances by a lot of different comedians. Yeah, there were. There yeah. were. I forgot about that. So you, you figured Judd Apatow and Adam Sandler must have a lot of respect within the, that uh, the comedy community. Yeah, to get those guys uh, to show up Andy in their movies. Dick and yep. Yeah. So the next movie we saw was Five Hundred Days, 500 of, days summer. of Summer. Mm-hmm. With uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Zoe Deschanel. Yeah. 
and a bunch of other characters I didn't know or recognize. We recognize their faces, but their names... We're not familiar. Right, like his best friends in the movie. I recognize both those guys, but... They've been in other stuff. Yeah. But um, basically it's about um, two people that um, start a romance of sorts... And it's pretty literal. It is the the main character's name, who's Zoe Deschanel, is um, Summer. And it basically follows this span of time in which they sort of come in and out of a relationship. Right. And it... Kind of hopscotches back and forth from day one through day 500. 500. From the highs and lows of what they went through. Right. Um... And as far as relationships go, mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty spot on. Mm-hmm. Um, once you get two people that kind of approach a relationship in their minds of how relationships are to work or their definitions of love mm-hmm. are different, then you, you, I think you may be doomed in the long run no matter what. Right. So, uh, but... It's always nice to see um, how love starts, how it is when you're right in the midst of it, Mm -hmm. and then how it affects you when it ends. Right. Um, There's a certain scene with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like, you know, the first time they make love or whatever, and the how he is afterwards. Right. Which is pretty much how it is. Yeah. You hear birds singing, and you want (laughs) to dance, and... The world is bright and happy, and then... Two weeks later, it's right. abysmal again. Right. Everything is gray, and it's raining, mm-hmm. and yeah. So, uh, good love story. Yeah. And, um... It was cute. Funny. I liked the... There's a narrator. That's what I thought made it was... Thought, I thought Wait, made it funny. Who was the narrator? I don't know, but he was good. We need to look that up yeah. after we have our At contest. first, I was like, that's Morgan Freeman, but then I it's realized not it Morgan wasn't. Freeman. Yeah. yeah. But that that made it a little. It sounded like he was telling a story, right? And that's what was what was cool about it, right? So, um, definitely, definite recommend. Mm-hmm. I would give that one a seven point five. Mm, I'd give it slightly lower, like a seven point three or something. Eight point seven. Wow. wow. It's doing really well. Yes, it is. Um, of course, I don't think it's in wide, wide release yet. Maybe it is, but it's only 4,500 votes. So. That's true. So, um... Who is the, uh, who is the narrator? Oh, um... Doesn't say, does no, it? No, it doesn't. Maybe we don't get to know. Oh. Jean-Paul, Jean-Paul Vignon? Yeah. French narrator. No idea. Was there an American narrator? He didn't sound French. So much for that. Yeah, it definitely wasn't Morgan Freeman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think his stock is going down anyway. Wow. With all the rumors going around, if they are true. Um, The last movie we saw, what was that look? Nothing. (laughs) The last movie we saw, we saw yesterday, and the movie was uh, Julie and Julia. Yes. With Amy Adams and Meryl Streep. Stanley Tucci. Right. And uh, Messina. Chris Messina? Yes. Yeah. Um, and it follows the story of Julie, who is a Julie Powell, 
who is a, a somewhat of a writer in New York, but she's she doesn't write by trade. Right. By trade, Frustrated she does some writer. kind of nonprofit job related to the events of nine eleven. Right, insurance. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't quite tell exactly what it was, which I think was kind of the point. But um, <laughs> parallel to that, that follows the story of Julia Child and um, or Julia Child, and I guess it's not plural. Yeah. Um, and her original journey to France, where she short, sort of falls in love with cooking and learns how to become learns how to cook. And then, um, based on that, Julie decides to start a blog where she cooks all of the recipes in Julia Child's book. Um, I believe it's Mastering, Mastering the, the Art, Art of French, French Cooking. cooking. Yeah. And so, it's kind of a cute little story about two women finding their way, one right. because of the other. But yep. I have several things to say about this Okay, movie. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's hear it. The first thing is, I thought... First thing is, this movie was written and directed by Nora Ephron. Now, my favorite movie of all time is When Harry Met Sally, which is written by Nora Ephron, with a lot of help of Billy Crystal and Rob Reiner. Anyway, I love that movie. Romantic comedy, to me, it's one of the more honest romantic comedies. Because romance is pretty much how you think you imagine things should be. Right. Whereas when Harry Met Sally kind of gave you a glimpse of how things are, but also how things should be in that you should end up, I feel, falling in love with and marrying your best friend. Right. Okay. Now, Nora Ephron also did Sleepless in Seattle Mm -hmm. and You've Got Mail. Okay. Which are truly just romantic movies. Right. How things, you dream things in your head of how these, these things should be. Which you need, I think. I think every well, that's we thing. need that. When I when I saw Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail, it kind of irks me because they weren't the same as when Harry met Sally, and so. But they were got they a, supposed to be? No. Okay. But they they got a downgrade from me. If you see a movie that you really love, and then somebody does other movies that you feel like they kind of copped out a little bit, that that's just my opinion at the time. Right. But as years went on, I realized that any time either one of those movies are on TV, I end up watching them uh-huh. because they make me feel good. Right. And you you know nobody's going to die or there's going to be any kind of pain or anything or it's going to depress you. Exactly. And so it's nice to watch those. I say that because I went into Julia, Julie and Julia thinking it was going to be a chick flick one. Uh-huh. That I wasn't going to enjoy it, that I'd... Realized that Nora Ephron had only really done, you know, one great thing and then the other uh-huh. two. But I have to say, uh, one, it's it's not a chick flick in that the two main, Chris Messina and Stanley Tucci, play the spouses of Julia Child and Julie, I don't care. Julie remember. Powell, who's played by Amy Adams. Right. And if you think about it, usually when you see a chick flick, what you have are women who are, for some reason, dissatisfied with their love mm-hmm. lives. And they're with men who are abusive in one way or another right. or emotional, emotionally disconnected. Uh, you think of You Got Mail. You think of, um, what's his name, uh, Greg, Greg Kinnear. Kinnear. Yeah. Sleepless in Seattle. It's um, Oh, uh, gosh, what's his name? Bill. Bill Pullman. Pullman. Right. 
You didn't. You don't have that with this movie. The movie focuses on these women are dissatisfied with something, but it isn't the men in their lives. And it's, they recognize that ultimately. Right. Right. It's it's their lives. There's something missing from their lives that they want to a- attain. There's a certain happiness that's that's um, kind of missing in action, right. I guess. But the great thing is that you have these two men that are very supportive of them. Even when things are kind of, I mean, things aren't perfect. Yeah. But there's an, uh, an obvious love there between the women. And this is the thing that stood out to me because mm-hmm. I'm so used to men getting bashed in one way or another when the main characters or and or the director are women. Right. That that didn't hit me at all during this movie. And I loved seeing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love the fact that... Uh, you have this movie that just embraces life. I mean, when you see these women, when you see this food on on the screen, it's just you want to eat it. Right. You, the movie, you just you feel. I will say this about Stanley Tucci: he has a mouth that when he eats, it's like he's really savoring the food. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he does. That's a good point. Yeah. I didn't think about that. But no, I, my main point is that I really enjoyed the film a lot more than I thought that I would. Right. Right. Um, the only other thing I want to point out is that the, when we saw the film, I would say, and maybe you would agree with me, that two-thirds of the people in the theater were probably over the age of 50. Oh, at least, yeah. And there were a couple of things that I noticed that usually we don't notice with other films. Mm-hmm. One is I never saw anyone pull out a cell phone. No, not at all. The other thing is that there was an interaction with the film. The right. whole point of going to a movie is to get involved with the movie right. this is not a distraction from part of your day right it's an right. escape and these people were in the film they were like going mm, and they were sighing and they were <laughs> laughing and at the end of the film they applauded right and you usually don't get that with modern day films you may go see like we see um it's a wonderful life or whatever and people right applaud. right so i love the fact that there was an interaction there and a general embrace of the movie um and the only other thing is Nora Ephron does know how to put good music in her films. She does. And so that was, you know, towards the end of the film, there was, um, and I'm partial to jazz, but there was kind of a jazz tune. I wondered if you knew what that was, or I figured I you, was wondering who that, and you we'll did, have to look You didn't up. know? Okay. No. Yeah. As they were playing it, I was thinking of you. Yeah. But, no, overall, I, I really enjoyed it that movie that's a movie that i would watch just like you've got mail or sleepless in seattle mm-hmm. if it's on tv i would stop and watch, watch it because it. it's not not threatening in any way mm-hmm. and i mean you can't all movies can't be that way but it's right. nice to have films that are like that but i didn't think it was not threatening in a sugary sweet kind of way that i think you've got mail and sleepless in seattle they kind border, of ride a little right, bit right there was a little bit of brokenheartedness in this movie both on the part of Julia Child and on the part of Julie Powell. Right. And that they both had sort of elements of their life. Like Julia Child, I, I couldn't tell if she couldn't have children or if they had just decided not to have children. Right. But there's a couple little glimpses that you get into that side of her where you can see there's some devastation there. Right. And the same for Julie Powell, not with children, but more with um, when she sees kind of what her friends are doing. And that's the part I related to. Right. As well, especially seeing like their little tiny apartment that she and her husband lived in, and she, you know, she goes to lunch with her friends who are all these high-powered executives. Right. It was very relatable. Yes, although her friends, I couldn't stand her friends because her friends represent most of the the women that you see today. Right. 
and I have no problem with going after something and being um, aggressive. And, mm-hmm. But there seems to be a certain amount of shallowness there. Right. And Julie Powell, uh, it was like there was a hunger, I mean, literally, yeah. for something. A there hunger was substance, to be creative. There was substance there that I didn't get with the other women at the table. Exactly. And I liked that it was a creative hunger. Right. Not just a hunger for more power. Right. And when you spoke of Julia, Julia Child, it made me think of another character. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember her name. She's in movies and TV. Uh, they played the sister. Because oh, she yeah. was excellent as she well. She was great. She was um, great. She we'll played Julia Child's sister. We'll have to look up her name. Cause she usually plays a very like sarcastic character. Right. And that's why I liked her. Because she was funny. Like She was there to provide a little bit of comedic relief. Right. But... Um, still very, very good. And I, I just liked, I loved the dialogue between them because they talked like women actually talk. Mm-hmm. And I loved, like, um, there's all these times where Julie's sort of going through these breakdowns. As she, because Julia Child's, Julie Child isn't making, like, a summer salad, people. Like, she's, like, these are pretty serious recipes that involve, like, timers and measuring cups and simmering and paying attention. Like, it's involved cooking. It's not, like... Rachel Ray's 20-minute meals. Right. Like, these these are pretty serious undertakings. And so there's a lot of meltdowns that she has. And I loved that she recognized the fact that she was being a silly girl sometimes. Like, I, I think it's important to see that in movies and not just, like, like what you said, like, the, the men in our lives just need to move over because this is the way we are, that right. kind of thing. Right. But I do like the fact that um, Julia Child had the confidence yes. to go against all these men yes. and, and have... The person against her pretty much was a woman. Exactly. Um, and to deal with it with top. a sense of humor. Right. That's what I liked. She wasn't, you know, she didn't come she in was full to be of a life. bitch. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, yeah. Um, there was something else I wanted to say about that. I can't, I can't recall. But I will say both performances. First of all, Stanley Tucci, Chris Messina, mm-hmm. and the other lady that we'll look up. Yeah. Excellent. Supporting then, cast. Right. Yeah. Meryl Streep. And Amy Adams were wonderful as well. Yes. It's a wonderful summer getaway picture. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't looking at my watch. I was really into it. Very funny, Mm -hmm. touching. Yep. Yes. And delicious. Yes. Made you want to cook. Made you want to cook. So, what do you think? What's your rating? Um, I'm going to be biased on this, and it's probably higher than, but I'm going to give it a nine. Really? That's what I was going to give it. Okay. So, oh, the other thing I wanted to say before we look this uh-huh. up is that we were at dinner the other night, and someone told me, and because I'm 36, almost 37, and they said, when you get to this point in your life, you're pretty much just managing your life. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie kind of points out that that's not true. Yes. You're always searching for something. Uh, maybe your search isn't as strong or, you know, once you get to a certain age. But Julia Child was probably in her 40s when she first embarked on... Right. She didn't get married until she was, like, 40, first well, of all. 30, 30, 38 or something? Early 30s. Oh, I thought it was late. She was late 30s. I but think I could be wrong. Yeah, I okay. looked, it, looked it up. And there is mention of the fact that we're there at a dinner party or something and someone says, you know, are you guys spies or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so they were very good at kind of playing that off. And, yes. But, um, yes, but my point is... I, if I ever got to the point in my life where I thought I was just managing myself, I, I don't want my life I'd to shoot keep myself going. In the face. Exactly, yeah. and that's one thing that I love about my parents is that they still dream and scheme and hope and think. 
they're not they're they've never maintained right. you know they've and been there in 30 years yeah that's what keeps you going mm-hmm. i mean even when you're retired you gotta there has to be something that keeps your mind sharp that keeps you wanting to better yourself exactly and that's what I liked about the couples together. They seem to be supportive of each other's, equally supportive of each other's endeavors and dreams. And right. no, but nobody stifled each other. Right. And there's a lot of passion in this movie. Mm-hmm. Not only with the food, but just between the... Characters. Yeah. So we said nine. Yes. And it has a 7.6, which is understandable um, just because it, I'm biased and so I can understand people. But I think, I, I don't know, I think for, you know... Th- this movie wasn't touted as some like Oscar-worthy epic romance. It was a, a comedy, a romantic comedy of sorts, um, kind of somewhat autobiographical, I guess, or right. biographical. Um, so I think for what it was, I think that's a, a pretty fair rating, regardless yeah. of what your biases were. Right. Uh, what was uh, Helen Carey? Helen right? Carey wasn't that her? No. Jane Lynch. Jane Lynch. Yes, that's her. She yes. played the sister of Julia Chow. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So there we go. Our four movie reviews for for this week. Right. And for me, Julie and Julia is probably the top number one. Yeah, same here. Hurt Locker. Close second. Yeah. Hurt Locker and Funny People are tied pretty closely. Um, they were just two different films. Like, right. I guess I couldn't bring them necessarily. Well, I liked 500 Days of Summer. I did. I liked it, but I didn't like it as much as I thought I was going to. Really? Yeah. So what are what are we looking forward to seeing coming up? Next week we are seeing... Oh, we're having a difficult time deciding because the documentary about Mike Tyson is finally down here. Mm-hmm. And we want to see that uh, perfect getaway you wanted to see. Yes, I do. Uh, Something else comes out. Jeremy next Piven. Oh, the goods or the goods. Yeah, the goods. Um, and then there was one other thing I believe that was coming out. District Nine comes out yes. next week. Yeah, yeah. And the Time Traveler's Wife. Oh, and, and Paper, Paper Heart. Heart. Yeah. So we've got lots. We have lots on the agenda for the next next few weeks. Right. Should we talk about our upcoming? We are going to Chicago. Chicago. Yep. We are going to Chicago. Wrigley Field. Cubs. See the Cubs. And you are going to be my tour guide. Somewhat, yes. Yes. So, looking forward to that. Yep. And um, I do have a question. We're going to Seattle in a couple of months. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's th- this thing called the Seattle Freeze. Yes. Which pretty much suggests that the people in Seattle are closed off socially. That it's very hard to make friends. That it's, I guess, a little bit cliquish. And so we didn't see that the first time that we went or Mm-mm. the first time that we spent a lot of time there. Right. Um, but we also realized that we didn't really interact with the people of Seattle that much. Right. So we're kind of wondering. But the only interactions I can remember 
were there was a, a restaurant that we went to, and I cannot remember the name of it. And if I could, I would blast it on this podcast because it was delicious. Remember that place oh, where waiter. we had the um, the crab, yeah. that delicious melt in your mouth crab. Yeah. And that, the waiter was very. He was fantastic, and he. I think he got that we weren't native Seattleans, right? Seattle, Seattleans. And then you know, uh, then one day we we stopped by a bar and we got a drink. It was like during the day. Mm-hmm. That guy was very friendly as well. And the well. guy in the liquor store, too. Remember him? Yeah. He was yeah. a little... little uh, he was a little skeptical, but he was funny. Because he said... He made some mention about... He said, tell everybody it's it's raining here so they don't come here right. or something like that. But yeah. he... But he was nice. Yeah. I don't remember having anybody... I don't remember... And I always, too, go by sporting events as well. Right. And we didn't have anybody... Nobody was rude or particularly disruptive or anything like that. Right. So... Yeah. We'll see. So yeah. So if you if you know something about this Seattle freeze or have experienced it. Right. Shoot us an email at vagabondexchange at gmail dot com. Let us know what you think. Yes, please. Anything else? Anything in the news you want us to talk about? What do you think about that guy that went into the uh fitness center? The ladies fitness center and shot the shot place the up. place up. Here's what I think about that in general. There's a lot of crazy people, and we've given them access to guns, so you do the math. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. Everyone has it's a tragedy. To guns. It's terrible. It is a tragedy. What what I don't understand is that this guy apparently hadn't had a date in 25 years, hadn't had sex in 20 years, mm-hmm. um, but he wasn't what you what people would like call a freak or something like that. I saw the pic- the guy's a handsome guy, mm-hmm. so I don't know if he was extremely socially awkward or what. But it seems to me that any rejection or that he felt was kind of a self imposed type of thing. Because mm-hmm. um, physically, it, it didn't appear to be anything wrong with but him. But that doesn't really matter. I mean, if he was crazy, he was crazy. Right. That's what everybody tells me. Ah, he was crazy. You don't need an excuse. For well, I'm not. I'm not blowing off the fact that they're. I mean, I just think. I think sometimes it just comes down to chemicals in your brain not working the way they should. Right. And unfortunately, it manifests itself in like some tragic way. And apparently, he went in in January, or he, had to, yeah. he was going to do it, and then backed off, and finally carried it out this past week. So. The thing is, you never know when this kind of stuff's going to happen. Mm-mm. And I'm waiting for it to happen. I hate to say this, but I'm waiting for it to happen in a movie theater. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, there's no, no no metal detectors. you got 200 other people in there. Yep. So, that's why I like sitting near the rear. <laughs> so you have time to get down? Right. Because I figure the guy will be in the back and he's spraying everybody in front of him, so... Although he could sit in the front and spray everybody behind him if they yeah, try the to escape the back of the theater. Everybody in front of them. What's the back of the theater? Like last row. You figure the guy will be in the back? It, yeah, the killer, the shooter. He's going to go in and sit down? Right. Okay. That's my imagination. Okay. I didn't, but I didn't know that's where you It may be smarter going. if you sat in the front because then if he people tried to run out. Right. I don't know. I hate. So why do you like to sit in the rear? Because I feel like, because initially I thought that. 
But you need to sit in the very, very last row then, and you never sit in the very, very last row, at least not with me. Right. So you need to work on your... So I'm hoping a guy sits five rows up. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I'm hoping a guy never goes to the movie. I was going to say, I'm hoping that this scenario never happens. Right. It's terrible. Anything else happen uh, this week? Oh, I have a new neighbor who's rather obnoxious. You have two new neighbors. I do have two new neighbors. I, uh, I rent a little place that's part of a house triplex i guess you could call it um and for the most part that i've lived there the two units behind me and above me have been empty and now i have two new neighbors and one of them has a dog that barks apparently on saturday mornings before six so that's pleasant and he's also taken to moving his furniture after usually after 10 30 at night really yeah so that's good so i can see this is going to go very well already he's only been in the place about two weeks so it was very quiet over there, the, the times that I've been over there, it was up to this quiet. point, and now it's... Now it's not quiet. You have, like, a light outside of your <laughs> window. <and laughs> yes. Yes. So, it's no good. Mm-mm. What else? Anything on your mind? Anything bothering you that you'd like to discuss? Uh, oh, uh, Rolling Stone. We're going to talk about Rolling Stone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, so the Rolling Stone magazine... I guess interviewed a bunch of other uh, musicians, producers, and got their list. I think they asked them for a list of 20 of the greatest, of who they thought were the greatest singers of all time. Right. And they did some kind of mathematic thing where they came out with a hundred, a list of a hundred greatest singers of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we won't go down the whole list, but I would like to say the first 10. Sure. So the first 10 that they came up with, we'll go from 10 to number one. Number 10 is James Brown. Number nine is Stevie Wonder. Number eight, Otis Redding. Bob Dylan, Marvin Gaye, John Lennon, Sam Cooke, Elvis Presley, Ray Charles. And number one is Aretha Franklin. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. just the top 10 alone, what is your opinion? I'm curious to see where they gathered this information. That's that's the first thing that... Well, I can give you... I mean, like, uh, a lot of these have little articles written with them. Right. And some of these... And these are some of the people that voted. Right. But, like, who were these people? Was it just people in the industry? Or did they uh, talk to... Okay, here's why I'm saying that. I'm completely shocked that aretha franklin is is <laughs> the industry consensus on who is the number one singer of all time i like aretha franklin yeah i think she's fairly i think her songs are fairly timeless but number one of all singers of all time in the history of let's say you the u.s not even the u.s in the history of the uk in the u.s right um i totally agree with you um i think aretha franklin is a great singer great soul singer great gospel Mm -hmm. uh but when i think of someone being the greatest singer of all time and it's a very subjective list but Mm -hmm. it helps if you have the ability to cover a lot of territory right so when I see Ray Charles number two, that doesn't bother me. No, Ray Charles could sing. He could have sung. He was he was irreligious, so he didn't. I don't think he sung gospel. Right. But he could have sung gospel. I mean, his songs 
kind of come from that idiom. Yeah. He sang soul. He sang jazz, pop music, country. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he had a huge catalog of country music songs. Right. So Ray Charles, I can see on that list. It just seems Aretha Franklin. It just seems a little, a little limited mm-hmm. to me. Me too. Elvis Presley. I'd put him in the top ten, but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he died tragically. You think so? Yeah. I think it's that he kind of turned the music world on its ear. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't. I mean, Michael Jackson. I think is twenty five on this list, and he was a better singer. Than Elvis Presley. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just took Elvis Presley's voice and didn't put in the dancing and all that, I don't know if. And the same is with Bob Dylan being number seven. Right. That to me is more of a songwriter thing too. You know. Right. If uh, this were a songwriter list, I'd think a little bit more of like Bob Dylan and like Bono. I think he he's not far down, but I was. Yeah. John Lennon. Paul because Paul McCartney I think is in the top twenty as well, mm-hmm. number eleven actually. Um, so, if you had a chance, if you're you were able to choose Bono's thirty two, if you were able to choose your number one, who would you say? My number one all time singer. Yeah, I don't know that I could pick a number one. Okay. Plus, you'd probably laugh at me. <laughs> no, I'm not saying it. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to... Are they on this list? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> if I tell you my number one, would that make you feel better? Yes. You know who my number one is. Do I? My number one singer, if I think of... I'm and I'm thinking of pop music. Okay. Because, I mean, we could go opera singers and jazz. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, my number one singer, as far as popular music, would be Sam Cooke. Okay. Because he sang gospel, he sang pop, he sang soul. Mm-hmm. The amount of people, Otis Redding is number eight on this list. He wouldn't be on this list without Sam Cooke. Rod Stewart wouldn't be on this list without Sam Cooke. That's true. I don't even think Van Morrison, and maybe he's, yeah, he's the one that wrote about Sam Cooke on this list. He would be on, he would be somewhere there, but mm-hmm. he would not, I, the amount, the immensity of influence that Sam Cooke had on the music world is great. And I think. His voice transcends time. I think you're right. Yeah. So, for me, if I had to pick a number one, it would be Sam Cooke. And then Ray Charles. Okay. And then Van Morrison, probably. But you, number one? Billy Joel. That's not bad. I can see that. Okay. Uh, I know he's on there somewhere, but... No, he's not. No, he isn't. But I think Billy Joel... No, I can respect that. Billy Joel. And he was a great writer, too. Mm-hmm. He is a great writer. So, no. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you thought I would laugh at you. Um, so, anyway, Aretha Franklin. I would take Ray Charles Elvis Presley or Sam Cooke over Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. I don't... Like, is... I guess maybe singer might not have been a good title for this list because they've obviously, obviously when people gave these answers, they were thinking of other, like performer, maybe I'd put Aretha Franklin in the top 10, but singer? I wouldn't even put her in the top 10 for a performer. Really? Yeah. I mean, Ray Charles is a greater performer. Elvis was a greater performer. 
Yeah, that's true. Stevie um, Wonder is a better performer. But you know what's weird is that when you look, you don't hit another woman's name until you get to Tina Turner. I wonder how many women are on this list. That's true. Let's take a look. Etta, oh, James. Etta James. I would... Well, that's just me, but I would put Etta James before Aretha Franklin. I would put her before Aretha, Aretha Franklin. Franklin, too. Um, I'd probably put Tina Turner before Aretha Franklin, quite yeah. frankly. Janis Joplin, Nina Simone. Whitney? Yeah. Dusty Springfield. Huh, Jeff Buckley. Um, Patsy? Patsy Klein. Bonnie, Bonnie Ray, Gladys Knight. There's not very Christina Aguilera, that's another one that... You wouldn't have her on this list? She's a great singer. She is a great singer, but I'm thinking, like, I don't think there would have been a Christina Aguilera without Mariah Carey. Right. Well, and I don't, is she on this list? Is Mariah Carey on this list? She should be if she's not. Who's Dion? D-I-O-N. Dion is uh, the Wanderer. Oh. Yeah, yep, she's 79. She's okay. Um, Ronnie Spector. Dolly Parton. Patti Smith. Darlene Love. Annie Lennox, Karen Carpenter, Patty LaBelle. Annie Lennox. Stevie Nicks. She's great. Yeah, Annie Lennox. I like Karen Carpenter. Karen Carpenter had perfect pitch as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah, she'd probably be higher up if she had uh, lived mm-hmm. longer. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, it's... Uh, but, I mean, you're always going to have complaints when lists like this come Right. Out. It's a little... Uh, it's a little... Not pretentious, but a little... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Where, like, like is Rolling Stone really the authority on this? Right, yeah. You know? And you kind of, if they ask professionals, musicians, producers, maybe they should ask listeners. That's what I, that's what I was thinking. Is this entirely, because I bet if this was entirely listener-based, you'd have a completely different list. Right, because a lot of people wanted um Well, and a lot of people would know who half those people are. You right, know. a lot of it's. Where's Celine Dion? Someone says this list is is crap. Is a crap if Celine is not there. Smiley fan twenty nine said that. <laughs> thanks, think, thanks, Smiley fan twenty nine. Do you think Celine Dion should be on there? No, you don't. No. Um, somebody says Lady Day. Uh, Billy Holiday. Ella Fitzgerald. See, I mean, I would agree with that, but um, I, if you do that, then you have to go into other genres as mm-hmm. well. So, I'm thinking more rock and roll. Mama Cass, <laughs> that's funny. I still, but the biggest biggest uh, inaccuracy I see is uh, Aretha Franklin. Yeah. Somebody said this is a fake list, right? Aretha Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> a list of top 100 singers. Does not include Nat King Cole or Frank Sinatra. That's as bogus as a woman with a penis. It's true. That is. I guess that's it for this week. Mm -hmm. Wow. We're over an hour already. It's because of those movie reviews. We go buck wild on those movie reviews. We need to stop going to the movies. I know, right? Or just stop talking about it. Right. Do you want to stop doing movie reviews? No. All right. Well, I think the one thing, if you take anything from this uh, podcast, this show, mm-hmm. is go see Julie and Julia. Julia, yeah. You'll if be pleasantly not, surprised. Right, yep. Okay. Well, uh, email us, please. 
<laughs> You're the one begging now. I wasn't. You weren't going to say anything? No. Well, I'm more asking for you because you're the one that actually checks the email. I do, but... Yeah. I, I just want you to have a little surprise one day. And the email address again is vagabondexchange at gmail.com. Yep. Um, yeah. And uh, I think we'll be back next week. We won't, we'll try to... Do it regularly. Yep. Yes. I'll be here next week. I will be here as well. Well, then we should probably do a podcast together. I believe you're right. And there was no interaction with the cat this week. Mm-mm. Apparently Baby he's cat. done. He realizes that no one listens to the show, so he's not going to He actually said that to me today, too. Did he? No one listens, listens to that anyway. Yes. I don't get paid enough for this. Yes. So, All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Before leaving, make sure you have all of your personal belongings and use caution when opening the overhead bins, as items may have shifted during the flight. We thank you for flying with us today. We truly appreciate your business and look forward to serving you on a future flight.